you're ever asked to participate in a study, realize they're going to be lying to you. <laughs> Are you sad, but wise? I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green. This episode of Right Angle is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. And gentlemen, I read of a study uh, that attempted to replicate uh, a former study that's considered a landmark in psychology that was conducted in 1979, where they basically tested people who were self-proclaimed depressed people and other people who were self-proclaimed as not being depressed. And the depressed people predicted or said that the results of the study, um, that their depressed nature uh, led them to believe that they didn't have any control over the events in their lives or the actions that they took and, and what happened as a result of that. And so for years, this has been taught in introductory psychology classes as something called depressive realism or the sadder but wiser thesis. In other words, depression is a gift and the great benefit of that gift is that you have a much more realistic view of life, unlike those uh, unreasonably optimistic people who are biased because of their rosy view of the way that things might come out. Um, Stephen Green, I thought this was interesting because the new study basically said there were no strong correlations in either direction. And a 2012 uh, aggregation of, of 75 other studies basically said the same thing. There was minimal impact of the somebody being depressed as far as their view of whether they could control events and uh, that any results that were seen may have had to do with the design of the studies. However, this view has kind of infected itself into the culture. I mean, that original 1979 study was has been quoted and cited by some 2,000 scholars since then, and it has been a, a, almost like a, an article of faith in the culture that depressed people are smarter because they understand that they don't control anything, and so when things come out poorly, they knew it was going to happen that way. Um, Steve... <laughs> I think what attracted me to this uh, is, you know, the idea that science definitively can say something 43 years ago and then can basically 43 years later go, ah, maybe, maybe not, probably not. <laughs> and, um, and, and yet people un are unlikely in light of the new information to shake that idea that if you're a sad personality, you're probably wiser than if you're a sunny personality. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, you know, I took Psych 101 in 1987 or 88, sometime around there, and we learned about this study. And I called BS then. You remember that uh, that that lefty trope? Uh, if 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 you're if you're not uh, what? How did it go? Uh, if, if you're, you're not, not angry, you're not, you're not paying, paying attention. attention. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, <laughs> I'm paying attention. I've been a news junkie since I was 11 years old. I don't want to be angry. I'm not angry. Ah, I have a martini. It's lovely. Um, and so I called BS on it then. I call BS on it now. Uh, the question for me is the interesting thing isn't uh, uh, the study's findings, which have since been refuted, apparently, or at least not substantiated. Uh, but why did it catch on hmm. so far and wide so so quickly? Because if I, when I learned about this, the study was only, what, uh, eight or nine years old, and already it was in my textbook. Okay, so th this thing, this this thing it didn't just doesn't it just have staying power. It had immediate staying power, immediate presence. 
Why is that? And that has led me to come up with uh, what I call the grand unification theory of sucking. And it all goes back to this idea that uh, to be aware is to be angry, depressed, sad, malcontent, mm. something along those lines. And lefties thrive on this stuff. Um, we've got a, a, a slender, tiny minority of uh, uh very disturbed people in need of our help uh, in, who suffer from from transgenderism. And instead of actually helping these people, the lefts cling on this and figure out how to turn it into a social contagion so that we can take uh, perfectly normal but awkward adolescent kids and turn them into to uh, victims of surgery and permanent malcontents for the rest of their lives because these are the people that lefties feed on. If you don't have angry people, you have to make angry people. If you don't have depressed people, you have to make depressed people. Um, it is it is a vicious form, Scott, of political vampirism. And uh, I think whether or not we fight this, and this goes back to your segment, your other segment this week, I think depends hinges on what happens in this election just three weeks from now. So uh, everybody do your duty on election day, okay? Bill, there's a certain uh, element of kind of, I'll call it learned helplessness in all of this. I mean, the study was a simple thing. There was a flashing light and there was a button in the hand of the study subject. And the study subject was supposed to press the button. And then afterward, they asked the study subject how much of an influence he thought he had over the behavior of the light with the button. And, uh, and you know, in general, I'm, I'm caricaturing it here, though. In general, the depressed people were like, oh, I don't think I had any impact on it. There's probably nothing Good day, Pooh, if it is a good day, which I doubt. Um, and, you know, and meanwhile, the optimistic people were more like, yeah, yeah, I, I really feel like, like, especially those three times in the middle, man, I, that, I made that thing blink. And so uh, the studies, the original studies authors, the 79 study, are saying now that the new study is not an accurate representation of the original one, that they did some things differently, and that they stand by their original results, this uh, this kind of depressive realism thesis. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me more so for that reason that Steve was just citing is like how quickly that caught on in the culture. And I wonder if it's just because so many of us have come to expect that if we get our hopes up, they're going to be crushed, so we might as well behave as if nothing good is ever going to happen. And then if something does, it'll surprise us and then not last very long. What do you think? Well, I have some uh, insider information on this one. You know, I mean, I've been uh, I've been clinically depressed since I was since puberty and and taking medication for it. For people who who don't suffer from this particular affliction, they always tend to think that there's a, a specific reason. Why are you depressed? You know, is it was it this? Is it this? Is it it's 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 it just doesn't work like that. The the best way I've been able to come to grips with it, uh, Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln, both of whom suffered from clinically clinical depression, no question. Winston Churchill described it as the black dog. It's just a black dog entered the room and it's going to be here for as long as it is, and then it's going to go. It's it is exactly like that. For me, it's kind of like standing on a on a on side of a of a cliff or something and seeing this storm coming in and knowing it's going to come in, and then the only real coping mechanism is over time you realize that every time the storm has come it's also gone so you're in for a rough three or four days buckle down don't make any big decisions and and, and ride it out so 
I'm not interested in the studies. I am interested in the thesis. The thesis is, do depressed people have a more accurate view of reality? And I think the answer is no. Um, what depression does for you when you're in the midst of it is, it's like if you take a, a, a photograph of a nice uh, beautiful field with, you know, sunshine and trees. Depression is like a, it's like a Photoshop filter. You, you, you take the exposure down by three and you desaturate everything. And now you've got this kind of dark, hmm. no color view of what, of what external reality shows is, is not that case. Um, and furthermore, uh, depression, like, like that exposure analogy takes things that you used to be optimistic about and now make you middling about and things that you used to be middling about, now you make them catastrophic, right? So that's, that, that's what it does. I don't think that's an indicator of what, um, of what a good judge of reality is. I don't think it's about uh, uh, depression. I think it's about naivete, which is an entirely different operator. If you want to make the case that depressed people are less naive, you might be able to make a correlation that way. Naivete is, well, first of all, the word naive is interesting. It's a French word. There's no other word that means what naive means. It doesn't mean gullible as, it, it, we, we know what it means. And naivete is something that can color your reflect, your, your ability to look at uh, difficult information. I am much less naive now than I was in 2019, much less, because the evidence for me has been overwhelming on things like when the uh, when the um, FDA or the CDC redefines what a vaccine is just as one of hundreds of examples of what I've seen, the FBI's, uh, you know, all this other stuff. I didn't want to believe any of these things. And, and a naive person will see something that they don't want to believe and convince themselves that it's not true despite the, the, the mounting evidence. Now, with all of this said, I would much rather live in a naive society than a cynical society because you get the future that you imagine. And, and the optimism of the American experiment is what has made America great. And, and this constant, this is why the, the study got so much, the original study got so much traction, because it, it, it's a denigration of optimism. And optimism is a uniquely American trait. It is, I suspect, for, on a biological level, it was selected for the same reason as rebelliousness and all the other things that made people leave their village that they've been in for 90 generations, get on a boat and head to some place they know nothing about because they, they were hopeful and optimistic, thought it was going to be a better future. Turned out it was. So I think that you can be too naive and not see things that are, that are clearly unpleasant news and that can affect your ability to not connect to reality. But... Depression also skews you in the other direction, and I think the healthiest people are really the the ones that basically the you know the Ronald Reagan you know trust but verify. I mean that really is the ultimate formula for contact with reality. Be optimistic about the situation because your actions are going to be predicated on your emotional state. Optimistic people do things like build rockets and fly to moon and land you know and 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 land them on barges. That's what optimistic people do. Pessimistic people sit there and say it's never going to work. So everything good that's ever happened has come from optimists. But strangely enough, when you look at Elon Musk as the latest incarnation of, of the Wright brothers and, all, and, and Henry Ford and all the rest of it, he is optimistic, but he's not naive. He's not, he's not imprisoned by, by the constraints of his dream. He understands that I've got this dream, and in order to make it happen, there are all of these unpleasant things that I'm going to have to do. That, to me, is, is the formula. Is is the ability to um, to 
to say, I want an optimistic outcome, but I'm going to be pessimistic about the uh, about the op about the obstacles that are going to be in the way and prepared to overcome them. And what surprises me about the reaction to the 1979 so-called landmark study is that to me, it appears to be little more than a parlor trick. Flash a light bulb, give somebody a switch, and see if they think that pressing the switch is making the light bulb flash. You were deceiving the study subjects, as so many studies do. If you're ever asked to participate in a study, realize they're going to be lying to you. <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the heart, especially of psychological studies. But um, and so so this parlor trick then takes on this outsized cultural impact of basically justifying anybody who has had a, a negative view about their ability to affect events. And that's what it's really about. Can your actions affect events? And basically say, well, you know, those, those people uh, are justified in their depressive realism. Uh, to the extent, and Bill talked about this, but to the extent that our, uh, our hopes and dreams inspire our actions, and to the extent that our actions affect our destinies, then it would seem to me that a more optimistic view of life would be more likely to trigger action that affects your destiny than otherwise. Um, if you believe, uh, you see the old uh, Henry Ford quote that's attributed to Henry Ford, if you think you can, if you think you can't, you're right. Uh, if you believe that you're not going to be able to control events, or if you believe that there are outside forces that are greater than you that affect your destiny and there's, you might as well not do anything, well, then you're probably not going to do anything. <laughs> and then your dream will come true. <laughs> Things will go just as you foresaw them, and you'll be justified in that view of it. So my comments here aren't any analysis about personality types or mental uh, health conditions or you know optimism or depression. It's just really this idea of how some science can grab the culture and everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I know that things have always worked out poorly for me. And you've met people like this who just think that nothing is going to go well. And then when it doesn't, they say, see, uh, you with your sunny optimism, I knew it wasn't going to go well. And I've just always stopped and asked myself, to what extent did my belief about how things were going to go here affect how they went? Because... Frankly, whether it works or not, I want to be on the side of the guy who thought he could do it. And if I fail, then I'll get up, dust myself off, and think I can do it again. And it just seems to me that that is a more fulfilling way to live. And you begin to wonder, is there like a cycle here that reinforces the negative thoughts essentially because of the failure? And what would happen if you froze that cycle and started fresh and said, this time, I'm going to take some small area of life, and I'm going to look at it as if I could, and then I will bend all my efforts to that end and just see what happens. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com who make this program possible. 